Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Uh, we continue in the book of Acts, and uh, really the, the theme of the book that we've been doing is serving Christ together. Um, and so let's start with a little quiz. Do you guys like pop quizzes? Okay, sure we do. And if you've been listening, and if you're, if you're new with us, you get a free pass. Okay, don't worry about this. But if you've been listening to the, serv- to the ser- services and sermons, um, you should be able to answer this question. According to the book of Acts, <laughs> we didn't do very good in the first service. According to the book of Acts, what's our mission? To go to seek lost souls, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I did the pop quiz because you guys aren't going to forget now. You're going to make sure you're aware of it. Originally, when I was looking at this week, I I lay out, if you don't know this, I, I love to structure my sermon series in a way that I can just go through them and have the main topics already planned out. And and I was actually planning on, because we're in to the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, and he's with Silas now. And I was actually planning on skipping over chapters, not skipping over, highlighting chapters 17 and 18 and going right to chapter 19. And as I was just reading through the book of Acts again, and I hit that chapter 17, I just got convicted. I said, I cannot just skip over chapter 17. There is so much that is good here that we have to share because I think there's some great insight that you guys are going to take today and to be able to apply to your life. And so I'm excited about God's word today. Are you? Yeah, I'm excited about God's word. So last week I shared about the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And you remember he was sent out by the church to go and, and to, to basically go share the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere that he went. And he's out making those, make, sharing the gospel. And we talked about last week how he went to Philippi in Macedonia and how while he was in Philippi, he ended up getting arrested for basically sharing the good news of Jesus. He ended up getting arrested. Him and Silas, they were thrown into prison. And there was a mighty earthquake that took place. It shook the prison doors to the place where it actually broke them loose. And, and Paul and Silas, instead of choosing to escape, they choose to remain because guess what? They had an appointment with a Philippian jailer that needed Jesus Christ. And so they started sharing the gospel message to this Philippian jailer. He was saved, miraculously saved. He took him to his home. They shared the message to his family. And they were all baptized. That night, they baptized everyone in the family. And, the, man, the, the church in Philippi is being launched like crazy. And it's just fun to see what's taking place. So now we're going into where Phil, uh, Paul and Silas are back in prison. And, and uh, the city leaders decided to, you know, we can't hold Paul and Silas anymore. We don't really have anything on them that we can hold them. So, you know, uh, send, send some officers and let them know that, you need to release Paul and Silas from prison. So the officers came and, and they were trying to do it quietly. Kind of like not making a big deal about it or anything like that. I love the Apostle Paul. One of my favorite uh, people in the Bible. When they arrived, he informed them. Because remember, he was beaten. He was flogged. He didn't even know that he might be executed. And so when these officers arrived, he informed them, you know, we are Roman citizens. They didn't know that. It was a big deal. Because they were Roman citizens, they had the right to a trial, and they never received that trial. These guys are in big trouble. He says, we're not leaving. (laughs) 
We're going to stay right here until the city officials actually come and release us and apologize to us. Now, come on, you got to love that. And so literally, the city officials had to come, release Paul and Silas from prison, make an apology to them for what they had done. And then Paul and Silas all of a sudden continue on to, uh, on to their missionary journey. You can read all the details of that in the last part of chapter 16. After their release, Paul and Silas left Philippi and they went to Thessalonica where they were convinced, where they convinced some more people to follow Jesus. But soon after they were in Thessalonica, a group of Jewish believers that were very religious all of a sudden kind of formed this mob. And uh, they started stirring up troubles for Paul and Silas and the believers. And pretty soon the believers said, you know, it's not safe for you. And, and we're, we're going to send you away. And we're going to send you to Berea, which where we get the name Bereans, uh, who were the studier of God's word. And so they sent them to Berea. And Paul and Silas went to Berea. And it says that the People's hearts were more open to the gospel there, and they read God's word, and they applied it, and many were saved. Not just a few, many were saved. It's amazing when all of a sudden we choose to read God's word and say, I want to discover it for myself and apply it to our lives, how it can start to change our hearts and our minds. So this is taking place in Berea, where all of a sudden many are being saved. But you know those people that love to spoil things? You know, you're having a good day, you're having a good time, and all of a sudden someone just wants to spoil it for you. And, and well, this is what's taking place. All of a sudden, the news of what's taking place in Berea is found out in Thessalonica. And that same mob that was in Thessalonica decided to travel down to Berea and stir up more, more problems, more difficulties. It got to the point where all of a sudden the believers of the church said, Paul, it's not safe for you to be here. We're going to send you on. Uh, and Silas and Timothy stayed behind for a little bit, but soon followed. And so Paul is now on his way, and this is the part of the second missionary journey I want to highlight for us today, because Paul now arrives in Athens, Greece. And uh, we were, we're going to focus today on ch chapter 17, the second half, and we're going to start reading at verse 16 of this chapter. And we're going to read a lot of scripture today, so just hang with me because it's a story that's being told. And then we're going to unpack that story because in the midst of the story, the Apostle Paul shares a message that is powerful. Listen to as I read. And if you have your Bibles, open them up, uh, or we have it on the screen as well. But I just encourage you to leave them open and follow along uh, through my message today. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing 
is the one I am telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs. For he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. From one man created all the nations through the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for for the nations to seek after God. And perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold and silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. If you haven't figured that out, it's Jesus. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Diana. Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Lord, thank you for your word today. I pray, God, that once again your word will become revelation into our lives. Let it, Lord God, come alive in such a way that it changes us from the inside out, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said? So the title of my message today is The Unknown God. So far in the book of Acts, all the sermons that recorded by either Peter or Stephen or Philip or the Apostle Paul have all been shared to either Jews or God-fearing Gentiles who believed in one God. They believed in one God. Now we enter into a new arena. Paul is in Athens, Greece, the center of Greek culture. Athens was a society that was built around learning and artistry. And and this was a culture who believed in not just one God. They believed in a myriad of gods. They believed in thousands of gods. There was not one God but many. And there was Zeus and Hades and and Eris and Poseidon. And the list goes on and on and on. Petronas, uh, a Roman author, writes that it was easier to find a God than a man in Athens. Speaking of the number of gods found in the city, I remember when Annette and I, about nine, ten years ago, we were living in Visalia, California, in the central valley of San Joaquin Valley there. And uh, we were living there, and, and we, when we first moved there, one of the things my daughter immediately Dad, this place smells, Dad. This place, what, what's that smell, Dad? Well, you know, one of the things that Visalia is very proud of is that they claim that they have more cows than people. When you walked into Athens, they would claim that they have more gods than people. It was something they were proud of. So as Paul enters this city, he immediately recognizes that this is a city that was full of idolatry. And it, and it just greatly disturbed the Apostle Paul to the very core of his being. So Paul, 
he goes to the synagogue and he tries to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and he starts to share the good news of Jesus Christ about how he died on the cross and he was resurrected the third day so that we could find forgiveness for our sins and he spoke about the G- Jesus' death and resurrection and then Paul goes into the public square. I mean, he's doing street ministry now. Anybody who's going to listen, he's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody that just would open up their ears to hear him. In fact, Paul ended up debating some Epicurean and and Stoic philosophers. When he spoke to them about Jesus and his resurrections, they said among themselves, what's this babbler trying to say? And the meaning of that Greek word really comes about someone who picks up scraps of knowledge. So it's kind of like if you ever met someone that knows a little bit about everything, but they're really dangerous, you know what I'm saying? They only know just a little bit about everything, and they try to act like they know everything. And, and so this is what they basically are saying about the Apostle Paul, that, you know, he's just trying to pick up scratch. Because, see, they're very proud of their knowledge. They're very, very proud of their intellect. They, they believe that, man, they, they've, they basically have arrived here. Yet we know from Acts 22 that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was taught by a, a man named Gamaliel, a Jewish rabbi who was revered by all the other rabbis because of his expert knowledge. And he was trained by this rabbi, and Paul was very intelligent. Now, the Epicurean philosophers were followers of an ancient Greek philosopher named Epicurus, and I'm going somewhere, just follow along with me. Their main goal was to seek out pleasure. That was their whole philosophy is if you found pleasure in your life, guess what? If you have happiness, you know, it's, it, it, that was the most thing, important thing in their life. It's kind of like that old song, that don't worry, be happy type of scenario. If you're happy, you got everything. It was, more, it was a more modest lifestyle than hedonism, yet happiness or pleasure was still their main ambition of life. The Stoic philosophers sought out knowledge as their ultimate goal. These were the people who were always seeking out some new discovery about life. They worshipped their own intellect. It was rationale over emotions. Both groups promoted tolerance and diversity, which explains why Athens was a citadel for the gods. They promoted this tolerance and diversity. And I read this comment the other day, which is, I think is a really good description about the people of Athens and the struggle that they're having. Listen to this, listen to this uh, quote. When you worship intellect, you get educated arrogance. When you love newness, you get restless dissatisfaction. When you exalt tolerance, you get endless uncertainty. Always seeking for truth, you can never seem to find. This is probably a good summary of the worldview of Athens. And it's not too far off from our current worldview that we live in here today. What Paul discovered in Athens was a group of highly intelligent religious people who were totally, get this, totally ignorant about God. They knew nothing about God. They knew nothing about, they knew about gods, but they never knew nothing about the one true God. In fact, as Paul was walking, he discovered that there was one shrine and had an inscription engraved to an unknown God. The Athens were so religious that they had erected an altar to avoid accidentally offending a God that they didn't know about. Think about that. Soon the Apostle Paul, because of his discussions out there in the marketplace, he was invited to go and debate at a high council, which is basically a group of social philosophers 
philosophers. They were a society of philosophers. It was in a room that he gets invited into to share his ideas. He was asked to present this new teaching about Jesus' resurrection. And as Paul began to share, he brought their attention to this altar that he came across. We don't know if he came across it as he's walking into that building or wherever it might be. But he came across and he brought attention to everybody in the room. You know what? This, you have an altar that's dedicated to an unknown God. And then Paul states to him, this is the God that I speak about. Paul then shares this beautiful discourse about the God that they knew nothing about. And bottom line, Paul is about to school all these philosophers with an argument that they have a hard time to refute. And this is where the meat of my message is today, is Paul's discourse, Paul's message, Paul's sermon to these philosophers. Who is this unknown God that you ignorantly worship? Let me tell you who he is. He is the God. He is is God, your creator. Paul immediately opens up with this thought. He is God, your creator. And Paul explains that this unknown God is the one who created all things. He is the God of both the heaven and the earth. He does not live in man-made temples. He is not a God that you can create. No, he is the God who created you and created everything that you see and that you, you can ever imagine. He is not a God that you have to you know, erect in a temple so all of a sudden that you don't forget how many gods that you have. You see, in, in that culture, if you didn't create something, you might forget the God that you serve. They had so many gods. Well, let's build this one so we never forget that person. That God. Let's build this one so we don't forget that God. They built all these, they erected all these altars. And and Paul all of a sudden says, you know what? You don't understand. You don't build a temple for my God because there's no man-made temple that could ever contain my God because he is the creator of heaven and earth. You will never forget my God because if you just look out, you will see his creation. Everything that you see is his creation. How can you ever forget who my God is? You can be reminded everywhere as you look, you see his creation. Amen. I love this. He is the almighty God. Amen. It reminds me of the Psalms in Psalms 96, 4. Great is the Lord. He is worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, little g. Man-made idols, things that we make up in our own lives, that we just choose to serve. Think about what Paul is doing. He's standing in this council. I'm sure that even in the building that he walks into, I'm sure that there's statues and there's, and there's these altars that are built to remember all of these gods. And Paul is painting a remarkable image for these people. Paul is stating, you need to make images of these gods so that you have something to worship so that you don't forget about them. If you don't make a temple, catch, catch us, if you don't make a temple for them, they don't exist. Paul then states, I serve a God who cannot be contained by a temple made by man. And my God cannot be forgotten because of his creation. In fact, from one man, he created all the people that have ever existed or that will ever exist. The God you serve must be created and sustained by you. The God I serve is the one who creates and sustains all of life. And I got some application to share with us today because I want you to take away some thoughts. This is a great reminder for all of us. Don't create gods in your life. Don't, don't, don't all of a sudden create a God in your life that distracts you from the one true God. And Pastor tell me, I don't have any altars. I don't. Yes, you do. You might. 
It might not look like the Old Testament altar, but it might be something that you worship. Anything that you worship is going to be an altar in your life. I'm just sharing some thoughts. Now, I want you to catch this thought. Because I want, you to set, I want to give you guys some freedom. Anything that you've ever created, any little G in your life that you've created, you have the power to destroy and tear down because it has no power. You have power over it. If you create it, take it down. Destroy it. Don't let that thing rule your life. The first commandment that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you must not have any other God but me. Let's make sure that we're not serving any other gods but the one true God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Our God reigns and his name is Jesus. Throughout the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, you will see the story of the Israelites. And they were always creating these little G's. And you will see that God even challenges them. He says, you know what? They build these what they called Asherah poles. And, and a lot of the gods that they, they worship had something to do about sexual uh, things and about sex and about sexual prostitutes that they would have. They go worship and have sex with these prostitutes. It was crazy stuff. And, and God said, enough of this stuff. Enough of all this. You're worshiping the wrong things. And he would challenge, tear down these things. And a new king would be all of a sudden appointed in Israel. And when that king all of a sudden come in, and he was, he was a righteous king. And all of a sudden, he, he would take down the Asherah poles. He would take down all these altars that were not serving God. To, and guess what would happen? All of a sudden, the blessings of God would start to rain down upon Israel. Because all of a sudden, they had a king that was willing to be righteous before God. What would happen in our lives if we'd be willing to tear down those little G's in our life and say, God, I serve you and you all. I believe the blessings of God are going to pour out upon us when we make him the number one in our life, that he is the one and only that whom we serve. He is the great I am. He is the king of kings. Amen. Another th amazing thought that the Apostle Parish Paul shares about the unknown God is that he is the God who serves. You find this in verse 25. It states, human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. Yeah, you got it, Court. Think about that one. He has no needs. Let's be real. Something you've created is basically something that you serve. Something you've created is basically something. It has no power. If you create an automobile, if you build an automobile from the, from, the, you know, from the frame up, it will run for a while. But at some point, you will have to service that car. That car is dependent upon you. God is not dependent upon us. God has no needs. He doesn't need us serving him so that he could exist. He exists with or without you. God exists without us. He is completely self-sufficient. God is God completely, 100%. Unlike us, we have many needs. Take oxygen from the air, and we have a real problem. Take water from this earth, Houston, we have a problem. Apostle Paul writes in verse 28, For in him we live and move 
and have our being or we exist. See, we don't exist without God. God exists without us. We don't exist without God. We are 100% dependent upon God and his creation. Think about this thought. God's creation serves you every single day. If you take a breath and you have oxygen, it's serving you. His creation is serving you. And if you're that person that thinks, man, what if God, God's never done anything for me? What is he doing? Think about that. Just slow down for a minute. And just take a breath. And think that breath is from God. He gave you the ability to breathe. Never forget who God is. The gods that we create in our lives have real, no real power. We might think they do, but they don't. Without us serving them, they don't exist. How can something that you've created with your own hands or thoughts have the power to deliver you? Catch this. How can something that you create or develop with your own hands have the power to deliver you or sustain you? It doesn't. You might think it does, but there's, just mark my words. There's days that's coming down the road that maybe they don't sustain you. See, our faith has to be in the one who sustains us. Our faith has to be in the one who reigns. Our faith has to be in the king of kings who makes all things possible. There is nothing impossible for our God. You see, so many times these little G gods, we've created them merely for our own pleasure or our own comfort. There's, they're a false sense of security. Some of you guys have, have, have pets that you serve like gods. This is OC. I can, I can step on some toes. Now, my daughter just bought a new dog, Ryder. He's a red retriever. Cutest little thing. Oh, my gosh. She serves that puppy. She gets up in the morning early, like at 3, 4 o'clock, takes him out, makes sure he goes potty. She bathes him. She combs him. She feeds him. She cleans up. She picks up his poop. No one's picking up my poop, but she picks up all of his poop every day. I know that's really gross, but <laughs> think about it. What kind of world we live? That pet really has, that, she serves that pet. Vacuums up after him, bathes him. Pet's 100% dependent, 100% dependent upon her. How weird must it be to serve a God that needs you for their existence? What are you serving that the only reason it exists is because you're serving it? Get rid of it. Even the creation of, of their being is dependent upon you. This is the world that the Apostle Paul steps into when he enters Athens, Greece. And these great philosophers thought they were so great. They thought their, their, their intellect was astounding. It's almost laughable if it wasn't so sad. Let's return to the statement, human hands can't serve his needs. Doesn't the Bible state, because this could be confusing, I, wanna, I always want to remove confusion. Doesn't the Bible state that we are to serve the Lord faithfully? Doesn't Jesus state no one can serve two masters and he wants us to serve him? How does Paul state human hands can't serve his needs? And I want you to remember this truth. Our service towards God is not to help God be better or greater. He is already great. Some of you are old enough, some of you are not. And if you don't want to be put into this category, just act ignorant right now. Um, I remember 
when I was a wee little boy, I remember this guy named Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. He was a heavyweight champion, boxer. He, he fought guys like Frazier and, and Foreman. And he was, you know, I, I remember dad bringing out the black and white TV. We'd turn, turn it on, tune it in, and get ready for the big fight. And, and one of the things when he was interviewed by Howard Cosell, remember Howard Cosell? How I many you remember Howard Cosell? Okay. Yeah, I just passed up most of this audience right now. I'm so sorry. Dang, I'm getting old. Um, anyhow, Howard Cosell would come on TV. He was a sports announcer, and he would interview Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali, one of the things he would always say is, I am the greatest. He was a pretty good boxer. He really was. But that statement should be reserved for God because he is the greatest. He is the I am, drop the mic type of God. He is God. No one, no one, no one can compete. No one is... He is God. Ultimately, the Bible refers to our service towards God. I want you to catch this. Our service towards God is never to improve God, never to better God, never to make him greater. Our service towards God is an act of service to help others. It's to introduce them to the love and the faithfulness of this unknown. Catch this. It's to introduce them to the love and the faithfulness of the unknown God that serves them every day. Have you ever thought about that? God serves everyone, even those who don't believe in him. If they're taking a breath, God is serving them. And our job is to introduce them to this loving God by showing our love to them, which is God's love to them, and introducing them to this unknown God that they don't understand that exists for them. I mean, not exists for them, but exists and loves them. We serve God by loving others. Even Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus entered this world and put on human flesh for the purpose of serving us by providing forgiveness of our sins through his death and resurrection. Paul's presenting this amazing argument to why these philosophers, philosophers should stop serving all these created gods that they've created. And begin worshiping the one true God who serves them every single day. That's a, that's a message right there. And let's remember who's, who serves who. God serves us daily. We worship God because he is the great I am. We breathe from his provision. And our service to God is for the purpose of serving others. The third thing, the final thought that I want to share with you today about Paul's message regarding this unknown God, is found in verses 30 and 31. He is the God who rules. Paul gives a great explanation to these Greek philosophers that God's ultimate purpose for all of us is that we might find relationship with him. That's his purpose. Even the way God rules is for our benefit. Have you ever thought about that? Different things that happen in your life, you wonder why would that happen? Why did God allow this? Can you imagine that someday when we get to heaven... And I believe everyone in this room is going to go to heaven with me. So that someday we get to heaven, we'll all of a sudden recognize that there was a purpose behind what God did. There was a purpose behind what God ruled. It was to all of a sudden to enlighten us to his goodness and to his grace. We might not understand it. We might not realize it now. But God has constantly given us opportunities to seek after him. He is constantly drawing us to him. In verse 27, the apostle Paul states... He is not far from any one of us. It's not that God's desire for any one of us is to perish. But God's desire is that we all be saved. But ultimately, we all choose. We all make that choice. 
The Apostle Paul explains in verse 30 that God has not overlooked people, people's ignorance, or he has overlooked people's ignorance. But now God commands that everyone repent of their sins and turn to him. You see, there is no more excuse. God has made a way to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven through your faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Your sins are forgiven. Believe and you will be saved. That's simple. On the day of judgment, you cannot stand before the Lord and say that you didn't have a way. Because Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one can come to the Father except through Him. The final application for you and me today is this. And I want you to catch this in your spirit because I think we all need to be reminded of this. Sometimes we just kind of go through life and we serve God and we love God and, and we try to do our very, very best. But we just start getting lazy. We start getting uh, lackadaisical about things, about the things of God. And I want to remind you of this one thing. There's a judgment day coming. And God will rule. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Some of the Greek philosophers didn't like the idea that Paul basically just called them ignorant. And consequently, they laughed at his presentation about Jesus' resurrection. But it says in the scripture, some believed the word of the Lord. They were humble enough to open up their heart and say, you know what? Man, this guy who I thought didn't know a whole lot, he's making, man, he's making a lot of sense right now. I'm serving gods that I've created. Why am I not serving the one true God who's created everything? And all of a sudden, they began to choose. They choose Christ and his resurrection. Remember this. When the gospel is presented to you, ignorance is no longer a choice. We've been presented the gospel by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17. Now we no longer can be ignorant. We know the truth. The truth will set you free. But it's your choice to choose. Do I choose to follow after Christ? Do I choose to set down my own idols? And they might not even be bad things, but you're worshiping them. Do I choose to set those things down and follow Christ? It's, it's, I don't want you to make, I don't want you to make, be difficult. It's not that we get, have to get rid of everything. It's not that we have to, no, no. It's all that we have to do is we have to elevate God to number one in our life. Everything else falls below. we got to elevate God, number one. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord God, that you reign and your word is true and it is powerful. I thank you, God, that there is going to be a day that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess at your name because there's power in your name. God, I pray for today for every person here. Some might be struggling with things in their life that they don't know how to lay down. They don't know how to put away. It seems like they're serving that thing in their life. They've created it, but now they're serving it. And they're wondering how to be set free. I pray right now by the power of your spirit, God, as they believe in their heart that you are truly Lord of their life. That God, you will start delivering and setting people free from bondages and from addictions, from fear, from the things that we have created in our own life. I pray God, break them down.
Help us, Lord God, to stop serving those things. And Lord God, that we start worshiping you and you only in our life. Set them free, I pray. In Jesus' name. If you're watching us online, my prayer is for you as well. And in this room today, if there's anyone that needs to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, all you have to do is ask the Lord into your heart. And what I mean by that is you're just surrendering to Christ. You're just saying, Lord, I want you to be number one in my life. And not that, you're, not that everything else has to disappear, but some things will. Some things will have to disappear. But some things just need to take a lower step in your life, and God needs to take a higher step. And if you want to make that commitment today, if you want to choose to fall after Christ, if you're watching this online, you're saying, yeah, that's me, Pastor Tom. I need to make that commitment. All you have to do is say this prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Today I choose to follow you. Set me free, Lord God. Help me to focus on you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All you have to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, I, I just feel I need to leave this one thought with you. We're, we're doing okay on time. What happens with sin is so many times we create it ourselves. And what is it, the Bible talks about it. There's a scripture in the Bible that talks about how a dog goes back to its vomit. I know it's a really gross illustration, but it's a good one. Because it grosses all of us out when I say it. But that's what sin is like to God. It's like vomit. Why would we ever choose to go back to it? And what happens is that we create something and then we start to serve it. And I share this over and over. The way you get set free from sin, number one, is through Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's, he sets you free. You no longer have to worry about the judgment of sin on your life if you choose to follow him. But sometimes that sanctification process, the letting go is so difficult. And what we got to understand, stop serving it. Repentance means turn. Turn towards God start following God, guess what happens? Sin starts to fall off. You no longer go back to it because you found something. There's a scripture in the Bible that I would rather be a door holder in heaven. I, mean, I would rather any place I can serve Christ, give me that. I don't care what it is, cleaning the toilets, whatever it is. If I'm serving Christ, that's what, I just want to serve Christ. Some of us, we need to get that in our spirit. That we just need to grab a hold of that in our spirit. I want to when you start following and worshiping the Lord and start everything is about showing more other people who Jesus is, all of a sudden that sin stuff just starts to disappear and to fall away from your life. How many would love that to happen more and more in your life? Amen. I, I would too. Yeah. Amen. I'm with you. 100%. We're on this journey together, guys. We're on this journey together. We're the family of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast. Because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.